College basketball is nearly back, and that means WCC Wednesday is making a return today. Myself and Tuck Clary will discuss the WCC head coach power rankings all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, it is October. I am so excited to be back five days a week on the Locked On Zags podcast talking all things Gonzaga hoops. It is Wednesday. WCC Wednesday was a primary segment last year. We're bringing it back, kicking off the start of the college basketball season. I'm joined today by my friend Tuck Clary. Tuck, for those unfamiliar, can you talk a little bit about where you're writing these days, where you're podcasting these days. I We only got like 30 minutes. I know you've got a lot of different uh, places that you're doing some content, but I'm sure people would love to hear, hear, hear where, you're, where you're working right now. Hey, Andy. Yeah. Um, so I co-host the New Bloods podcast looking at the WCC, Gonzaga, West Coast basketball in general, as well as the national landscape. I write a subsec, Hello Hoop World, uh, breaking down uh, previews for the season, as well as once the season gets away, some games to pay attention to for the week, a, a little reader guide. And uh, yeah, I am ramping up Slip Yourself Fits on SB Nation. Is do, we're doing our player previews. I just broke down Malachi Smith this week. And soon enough, we're going to do a WCC preview for uh, Tristan Freeman and Busting Brackets. So nice. ready to get this underway. The yeah. season is fast approaching, especially after all that hoopla about where mm. Kentucky's playing Gonzaga. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a fun morning today to, to wake up and, and see that the schedules came out and there was some some controversy. Our good friend John Calipari, the gift that keeps on giving for Gonzaga content creators in the offseason. He's making it easy to find stuff to write about, stuff to talk about. We're not talking Calipari today, though. <laughs> Plenty more opportunities to talk about our good friend John over there. Uh, but today, what I wanted to do, I'll explain it a little bit here. We're going to go through WCC head coach power rankings. It's going to be a short explanation because I intentionally didn't put a lot of rules in place. Tuck and I each made a list of the head coaches in the WCC, ranking them based on whatever we wanted to rank them on. I, for some of us, I'm sure that recent performances may be more important. For some, it's maybe the overall body of work. Just looking at all of the coaches, there's one new head coach. There's a couple pretty new head coaches in the WCC as well, guys. We've only been coaching for a handful of years. There's also coaches who've been coaching for a really, really, really long time. Uh, of course, Herb <laughs> Sendak, Mark Few, Lorenzo Romar, been doing this for a long time. So I'm excited for us to kind of get an opportunity to really talk about the coaches in this conference. I think it's a, a very eclectic group of head coaches and kind of see how we think about them as they, how they've done so far in their career and how they might be doing going forward. So uh, I'm going to let you start it out, Tuck. What we're going to do here is each of us are going to go through our list in reverse order 
keep some suspense about who's number one, although probably not too much suspense uh, on that topic necessarily. But uh, talk, I'm going to start it with you. Just talk about who is your worst ranked head coach uh, in the WCC and perhaps why you have them in that spot. Yeah. Uh, so my, my 10th ranked coach uh, in this power rankings is going to have to be Leonard Perry at Pacific. Just, not a lot has been going right with Pacific. Yeah. They're they're eight and twenty two since he took over, mm-hmm. uh, but also not a lot was going right with Idaho before that. Yeah. Forty eight and ninety seven there. I I think that it's it's a combination of resources, obviously, with those yeah. two schools. Mm-hmm. But if if I if I'm looking to start a program, I'm not sure I'm looking <laughs> in this direction. Yeah. Uh, fair or unfair? Yeah, no, I'm with you 100. percent Leonard Perry was my, was my choice here. If if we had not seen the Idaho stuff. I mean, 48 and 97 at Idaho. I mean, that's not going to get it done. Idaho, not a good basketball program, have not been a good really sports program in a very long time, but that's still, I mean, that's, it's just not enough. It's not enough. And then eight and 22 at Pacific, if that's all we had on him, maybe there'd be a little bit more optimism, but he's coached not very good programs before and hasn't had a lot of success for Pacific. The the Damon's losing Damon Stoudemire really hurt. I it mm-hmm. really hurt. I think there was a little bit of momentum there. They could have potentially done something with it, but Pacific is in it's in a rough area. It's a tough recruiting spot to be. And if you don't have like a really high-end coach, it's gonna be really hard to win there. And that's kind of what we what we've seen in the very short time that Perry's been the head coach over there. I'm going to move on to number nine. I'm curious if we're going to see that so far, so good. <laughs> one for one, uh, number nine for me, I was kind of close between two guys here. Uh, ultimately, I ended up going up with Stan Johnson at LMU. Uh, Johnson went 11 and 18 last year. Uh, not great. He was 13 and nine in his first year, though. So there's a little bit of maybe maybe he could turn some stuff around LMU. I think we just haven't seen enough to really get a great sense of where we're at here. But when you look at the other coaches in the conference, there just wasn't anybody that I felt deserved to be below him and what he's done so far. Yeah. So I went with, uh, for my number nine where Perry didn't have, we have enough experience of Perry as a coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, I put Chris Gerlufsen as, as my number nine, just because you don't know what kind of commodity is. Mm -hmm. I I think that he could surely uh, rise up this list throughout the season. If if things go right, he has the Mm -hmm. assets to, this is not uh, an indictment on him as a coach. It's more just like, show me what, what you got. I mean, he was uh, a big time uh, facet for Hawaii's offense in the Mm -hmm. big West. And Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously if they're going to transition to a coach that's only been with the program for two years at San Francisco, uh, he's, he's got to have something going for him. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Gerlufsen is, is who I had at eight. I was really close. Do I want to have the brand new coach behind Stan Johnson, ahead of Stan Johnson? I, I was kind of him uh, and hawing about what I wanted to do there. So I totally understand that decision. Uh, for me, I, I think you look at USF's track record of bringing in coaches or kind of developing coaches as, as associate head coaches or assistant coaches and bringing them up. They have had a lot of success. That doesn't automatically mean that this is going to be a big win certainly you you're good at that until you're not and it only takes one time for a coach to not really pan out that all of a sudden things kind of break down a little bit but usf has seems to be the kyle smith to todd golden to now chris gerlifson i have some optimism that this is going to go well 
but yeah, it's real. It's hard to know where to place a coach that hasn't coached a single game uh, yet. He hasn't done it yet. So we just, we don't really know. Certainly Shante Leggins who had coaching experience. He had a really successful first year uh, in the conference. I'm, I'm sure girl Lefson is looking to do something similar. He's got to build off of a much more successful previous regime. Uh, but I think that there's some optimism here, but right now you got to show me what you got. You got to show me before I can move you up. Tuck, we got one more here before we go into the next segment. Who do you got at number eight? So we're pretty much in alignment. Number eight for me is Stan Johnson. I think Stan, I think you can't really make a lot of conclusions after last season. Uh, mm-hmm. I was I was a couple rows back uh, from their bench during the Gonzaga uh, home game against mm-hmm. them. And, and the vibes were atrocious, Andy. The vibes were <laughs> real, real bad. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of eye contact between uh-huh. guys. Not a lot of eye contact between coaches and players. I think that there was just a lot of personnel issues that season, uh, a lot of high expectations as them mm-hmm. maybe being a sleeper. That yeah. clearly didn't happen. Yeah. I I think this season is going to tell us a lot with a couple fresh faces and then a platoon of guys that are his guys. This is only his third season mm-hmm. with, the, with the Lions. Yeah, I, I think th- these make sense as the bottom three guys for me, Girl Lufton, Johnson, Leonard Perry, all have opportunities to make some growth. I, I can't pretend that I'm particularly optimistic about the direction Pacific is going, but certainly the other two programs, I could see some direction going forward in the future. I think that, you know, we didn't even talk about this at the beginning. I think there's a pretty strong group of coaches. When I was doing this list and I was getting to like six or seven, and I was, which we'll talk about in the second segment coming up here. I was like, this, this is a pretty good group of coaches. Like some of these guys, I think there's some other conferences that are comparable to the WCC where they probably would be closer to the top five. So it's a good group of coaches. We got the bottom three out of the way. We're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to look at some of those kind of mid-tier coaches, some of the other guys who've been coaching for quite a while here in the WCC. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Nissan. Our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Locked On College Network titled Thrilling Moments, where we highlight the most exciting play from the Zags' latest game or throughout the team's history. While we wait for the season to get started, we're going to highlight thrilling moments in program history, starting with the iconic shot that I hope never gets forgotten. It's not the Jalen Sugg shot. I don't think anybody's ever going to forget about that. But we're talking today about the iconic three-pointer from Jordan Matthews, under one minute to go against West Virginia 2017 NCAA tournament. He hit that shot. The Zags had a very strong defensive stand right afterwards, led to a victory, trip to the Elite Eight. Of course, after that, a defeat against Xavier, a very narrow victory against South Carolina sent this team to their first ever national championship. One of the most exciting NCAA tournaments I've ever witnessed. Really, really exciting time to be a Gonzaga fan. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue the, what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. All right, segment number two, still any patents, still locked on Zag, still joined by Tuck Clary. Tuck, I didn't mention this earlier, but I love the newsletter. You gave a, you gave a little shout out to it earlier. If you're listening to this, not subscribed to Hello Hoop World, highly recommend checking it out. Fantastic stuff. But now I want to give you an opportunity to talk about who you have ranked seventh among WCC head coaches in your power rankings. Andy, thank you for the kind words. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to give such kind words to the seventh coach, considering where many would probably have him. Mm -hmm. My seventh coach on this list is one Steve Lavin. 
Ooh, okay, all right. And the reason is I I just I want to see it. I, I want to see what a coach that has not coached for over seven seasons yeah. looks like. Uh you know, it, San Diego is a great retirement spot. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe he's getting a bag and hanging out on the beach. But <laughs> I, uh, considering the shakeup with uh, his his coaching personnel, yeah. considering uh, I've heard several national media folks talk about how difficult it is to get a hold of him to talk about his team, mm-hmm. um, down to the fact of. I wasn't overly impressed with this time at St. John's as a head yeah. coach. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand the hype that we're seeing with this Toreros team yep. or Steve Lavin under, under the reins. I echo everything that you said. I'm, I didn't quite have him here. I had him a little bit higher than this. Uh, the coach that I had in this spot and where I'm sure that you have some thoughts on this coach as well uh, for number seven is Lorenzo Romar at Pepperdine uh, Pepper. I feel, and this is this is why I was close between Lavin and Romar because I, I feel like I'm very much valuing what have you done for me lately? And Lavin hasn't done anything lately. He hasn't been a coach <laughs> in the last seven years, but Lorenzo Romar went seven and 25 last year. I know, I know that that Pepperdine, Pepperdine team, excuse me, has some, they have really young, talented players. Houston Millette is a stud, Maxwell Lewis. Like they got some dudes. I think this is going to be a good team but they were really bad last year. You talk about a coach who's getting a bag and kind of just hanging out. <laughs> Malibu's a good pot, yeah, place to right? hang out. <laughs> I, Malibu's not the worst place to do it. Uh, obviously, Romar has a, you know, he's won over 400 games in his career. Certainly that does count for something, but I had a hard time finding any stops where he has really overperformed I, I, or even not underperformed, quite frankly. So I'm not a huge Romar fan. He's a good recruiter. He seems like a great guy, but I just, from X's and O's, straight up coaching on the basketball court, I'm just not sure that I see it. And him and Lavin were very close to me. I was kind of unsure which one to put in that final spot. To be honest, I thought, oh, if I put Lavin at seven, is that too low? But clearly, <laughs> clearly not for you. Uh, I think that both these guys are kind of similar positions of older coaches who maybe aren't at the top of their game right now. That's kind of a lead into my sixth spot because I have Lorenzo at my sixth spot. And the reason I have Lorenzo at six is I agree with everything you said. And uh, as a Gonzaga alum, I I understand the vitriol (laughs) that many Gonzaga (laughs) fans have towards Lorenzo Romar and his (laughs) UW days. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. Uh, we talked to Houston Millette and Maxwell Lewis on our yeah. on the New Bloods podcast a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And hearing their perspective on how last season went, Lorenzo kind of let them figure it out. He thought it was yeah. like a learning moment for the team to okay. really go into those valleys and, and, and figure out who the leader on that team is. Now, should a head coach be a little more assertive in fixing those problems? Arguably. Yeah. I would, I would say you would rather interject than go seven and 20, but Mm -hmm. I will say in a holistic sense of what being a head coach is leading young men, Mm -hmm. recruiting, you can, you can have a conversation about his X and O's, but that young trio of Max yeah. Lewis, Houston Millette, and Mike Mitchell are going mm-hmm. to be fantastic this yes, season. Absolutely. I am I am all in on the Pepperdine waves mm-hmm. skyrocketing up this. And if they do so, I think Romar deserves to be in the sixth spot and mm-hmm. maybe even the five spot. Yeah. But I think ultimately, yeah, 
Uh, mm-hmm. He's he's not a whole coach in in a lot of aspects, but yeah. what he brings off the court seems to be something worthwhile. Yeah, I I, I definitely like that. I, I think I I understand the sentiment there, and I think it's entirely possible that this time a year from now, or you know in March from now, we're going to look at Pepperdine, who let's say they they might win like sixteen games, and Steve Lavin's first year at USD, like. There's a lot of optimism. I'm just going to lead right into mine because I had Lavin next, as we probably guessed here. We continue to kind of pinball here. But like Lavin might, there's not, he's got some good players. Jaden DeLayer from Stanford's fantastic. Eric Williams from Oregon is a good player. I, I think his ability to, to add some new players. And I say his, although there's a lot of reports that his staff ended up filling out a lot of the roster before he unceremoniously canned them, which was made a lot of headlines this summer for not some very great reasons for Steve Lavin over there, but we could be looking at a USD team that isn't even better than they were under Sam Scholl, whereas Pepperdine could take some, some leaps forward. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, what was all that hype about? What was all the, you know, the optimism around Steve Lavin? He's been a, he's been a high level coach. He's coached in the big East. He's coached in the PAC 12. He's been in the NCAA tournament a whole bunch of times. He also hasn't coached since 2015. All the points that you made about him being a little bit difficult to reach about, you know, the controversy around what he did with his staff, like there's it's a bit of a mixed bag right now. And he hasn't even coached a game with this team yet. So I'm excited to see what happens. I think it would be cool if USD was a little bit more relevant and kind of started making some of those steps forward. But I'm far from confident that that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued by by how those transfers end up stacking up for him yeah. this season. Talk. who'd you have? We're getting in the top five. Who did you have at number five? Or did you do six already? I already lost track. <laughs> I, I, did, I did six. I did okay, six. Perfect. Who do you got at five? For five, this may be surprising for a lot of folks, but number five, I have Mark Pope. Oh, that is surprising. <laughs> and the reason I have Mark Pope at five is, is looking at, at how that team has handled expectations over the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he did reach the tournament two seasons ago last mm-hmm. year. Roster construction was pretty mediocre, to be kind. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, he lost two centers at the start of the season, but also those centers weren't necessarily world beaters, especially for a program that is supposed to be headed to the Big 12. Mm -hmm. And in this season, I have no idea where the Cougars are going to end up. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of national folks are are preemptively penciling them into the three spot, and I do not see that with their losses versus who they got in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, their star freshman, their star freshman is going to go on a mission. Yeah. Uh, in, in total, that roster just seems com- just completely uneven, and mm-hmm. Traore can only do so much. Right. So with Mark Pope, I it's just also he seems like a coach that doesn't really make huge adjustments to what his roster construction was. He played mm-hmm. last season as if he wasn't lacking two people over six foot nine and <laughs> yeah. he was wasn't playing a six foot five or whatever center. So yeah. I, I I think Pope is a solid, worthwhile coach. That's why he's mm-hmm. on in the fifth spot. But I think there's coaches that are far better tuning their roster to what they need or adjusting to what the roster can offer them. We're going to talk about Pope a little bit later. I was very close to having him fourth. I ended up having him third. So this is the farthest apart that we have been on any coach so far, although I definitely understand the sentiment. For me at number five, 
And this almost felt too low. Perhaps it was too low, uh, but I went with uh, Portland Shantae Leggins here at number five. Uh, I think when you look at Portland's history over the last half decade or so, or longer even, it's been a while since they had a coach that would even sniff the top five of the WCC. Uh, Eric Revenoe was a good coach. 12, 15 years ago, something like that. God, that makes me feel very old um, when when UP was in their heyday in like 2009, 2010. But it's been a pretty rough road since then. The Terry Porter era was a, an unmitigated disaster. There's absolutely no other way to look at what happened at UP during that time as anything other than that. Shantae Leggins came in, immediately brought this team over 500, which 19 and 15 doesn't look great on paper. But when you look at where UP was prior to that, that is a tremendous accomplishment, a tremendous to do that in one year to turn this team around. They have a really talented roster. They got a couple guys from Eastern Washington, a couple other transfers in the mix that basically I, if I'm not mistaken, turned over the entire roster from the Terry Porter era to do that, win some games in the WCC. It's tough to be a low budget institution in the WCC. It's really hard. Portland's a big market. They're a big city, but it's a tough place to coach. I worked there for two years. It's really, really hard uh, to, to find some success there. He did it. He did it in one year prior to his time at UP. He was Big Sky Coach of the Year in 2019. Uh, he went 75 and 49 while at Eastern Washington. This is a young, exciting coach on the rise. I think he's going to be He's probably going to coach himself out of UP, quite frankly, which is unfortunate for the pilots. It's unfortunate for the WCC. Not really unfortunate for Shantae Leggins himself, though, because I think he's going to parlay his success here, assuming that it continues uh, into a really nice uh, coaching career. Um, do you want to should we just power through? We can edit this out. It's all good. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Do you want I, I have Leggins for it. So do you want me to just go straight into that? Sure. Yeah. Just respond and go into that. That'll be fine. OK, <laughs> cool. Yeah, i i have Sha I have Shantae Leggins as as my fourth coach on this mm -hmm. list, and that's because of all the things you listed. I think mm -hmm. that uh, he's one of the coaches that has clearly shown that he's able to do more with less. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that he was able to have any semblance of that success with a complete turnover of everything but walk ons last season is remarkable. Yeah, I think that the success he had at Eastern is, is evident. Yeah. I'm intrigued by this season in particular because mm -hmm. he did so much or so little and this season. He's going to have the ability to not play six man rotation. He's going to have yeah. the ability to have a center in Joey St. Pierre. That is mm -hmm. actually of considerable size. Yeah. Uh, it's it. I, I believe that Portland is going to be even higher than folks are even suggesting they're going to be. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if that happens, it's going to be hard for Shantae to not <laughs> listen to outside offers. Yeah. But ultimately, I think, like, I want to see what Shantae is able to do with a recruiting budget with mm -hmm. all of this, because I think that he's a special coach that is able yeah. to scheme with what he has in a way where uh, if you're if you're not working with dominant athletes, if you're not working with uh incredible sharpshooters portland portland shot pretty mediocre last season mm -hmm. and still they were competitive because of the style of play where it was interchangeable offense switchability yeah and that just is super exciting to see a coach try and outmaneuver his limitations yeah absolutely i i spoke with shante on a podcast over the summer and he was kind of talking about the Gonzaga game when they when they went out to Spokane, they played him there. And he was he was being a little self-deprecating about how the strategy that he took into that game didn't work because Gonzaga hit 
I think like eight, I think 18 three pointers, some obscene mm-hmm. number of three pointers. And I remember thinking, and I think I talked to him about it. Like you, that's exactly how you need to make Gonzaga beat you. Like I've seen, we've seen you and I have both seen so many coaches who just seem content to let drew Timmy just crush them down mm-hmm. low. And I'm like, if you're a roster, like the one that he had last year, you know, drew Timmy's going to kill you, make Gonzaga beat you from beyond the arc. He did that. It didn't work because Gonzaga hit a whole bunch of threes, but that to me, I was like, this is exactly how you had to attack this team. You tried exactly what you needed to do to make them beat you. And they did because they were a better basketball team. There's not any debate about that. But to me, that kind of shows a coach who's willing to, to try things, to experiment, to figure out ways to, to potentially beat teams that may have better, bigger, faster athletes. And, and that's the kind of stuff that you need to do when you're coaching at a program like Eastern Washington and certainly at a program like UP as well. Top four coming up for us, Tuck. Uh, I'm going to lead it off here with my fourth pick, who I'm guessing is probably your third pick. Uh, that would be Herb Sendek at Santa Clara. Again, I've kind of tried to balance how do you when you're talking about these coaches, how do you talk about what they've done very specifically lately versus their kind of whole body of work for Sendek? Both are pretty good. Both are, both are good. He went 21 and 12 last year with the Broncos. He's 97 and 84 overall had the rough start a little bit at Santa Clara, but has been a lot better lately. I think when you inherit a program that maybe wasn't in the best spot, you're going to, you know, your record's not always going to be reflective of how good of a coach you are. We're starting to see him kind of come out of that, put together some 20 win seasons. Uh, He's 53 and 33 over the last three years with the Broncos. Uh, He's also, you know, made the NCAA tournament with Miami, made the NCAA tournament with NC state, made the NCAA tournament with Arizona state. He's had successful seasons at or successful records at all three of those stops. He's been successful at Santa Clara. This is, this is just a good coach. He's a good basketball coach. He knows his X's and O's. He recruits well, depending on where he is. We've seen him have success at basically every single stop. And I think Santa Clara is going to continue to be, they may not quite reach that upper echelon. They haven't quite gotten there yet, but as long as Sendex there, I think they're going to be close. Yeah, I totally agree. He's my third pick. I think Ooh. he's absolutely one of the most slept on coaches throughout college basketball. I, I think if you want to find a coach that finds talent and adjusts to the talent that he has, that's Herb Sendek. I, yeah. I mean, Possibly the biggest what if for me last season is what happens if Joseph Bronkich does not get mononucleosis. Mm-hmm. That team was by far one of the best teams in this conference. I would say they could they would have pushed San Francisco into mm-hmm. being the third best team in this conference. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately Herb has the bona fides. He has multiple lottery picks he took to the NBA draft and Jalen Williams and James Harden and so on. He had routine success at NC State. He built that NC State program back up. Mm -hmm. I think, yes, he clearly struggled at the beginning. It was Santa Clara, but also that's a tough place to get guys to commit to. Mm -hmm. And the way that he's able to build a program, the way that he made Jalen Williams feel like that is a special program to the point that he told his brother Cody, hey, seriously, consider this school. Please, I'm begging you, consider this school. Mm -hmm. I think that Herb Sendeg is legitimately one of the better minds in just X's and O's Mm -hmm. and building up his guys and developing them. Yeah, I I have the same questions about what if that team had stayed healthy, if they hadn't dropped some of those non-conference games. This team blew out TCU in the non-conference slate. I think that TCU team 
wasn't quite the TCU team that we ended up seeing towards the end of the year. But regardless, that was still a huge win for this program. Uh, I think they're on the up and up. Uh, very, Sendek is the kind of coach who I think it's surprising to see him not uh, even in the top two, top five, barely top five of the WCC. But uh, it's kind of a testament to the top coaches in the conference. I'm going to close out the segment with my third pick. That's, of course, Mark Pope. Uh, I was really close between Pope and Sendek. I might have kind of talked myself slash you might have talked me out of switching those two guys. Uh, 11 losses for Pope last year at BYU is pretty rough. Uh, 68 and 26 for his career, though. They have had success. In some ways, some of that success may be in spite of him or at least not directly because of him. Uh, but he's he, they've recruited well. They've got some talent in that program. I think that we'll see if he's the guy to really kind of carry this program into the Big 12. I'm not incredibly sold just yet. Uh, I think he's going to get them there, but we'll see how long he lasts once they're there, uh, particularly if they continue to struggle finding guys like getting big guys, developing big men, not having big guys get hurt, which was obviously an issue for them in the past. And then beyond that, Pope was 77 and 56 at Utah Valley. Usually when a guy gets a job from a smaller program and jumps to a big program like BYU, yeah, BYU is in the WCC, but it's a, a huge school. They're about to be in the Big 12. You're kind of expecting their record to be a little bit better at the stop before that. So I'm a little bit unsure on Mark Pope. I do think that he's a good coach. I think that he's gotten a lot out of some of the guys on that program that you maybe wouldn't have expected him to get out, but I'm not quite sold yet. I'm not sold that he's going to be a power five coach. We'll see what that looks like. If he's still the guy when they get into the big 12, all right, we're going to come back in the third and final segment. We each got two left, not really a shock who they're going to be, but we're still going to talk about those two coaches, but I want to tell you all about bet online. College basketball may be deep into the off season, but college football and the NFL are just getting started while the MLB playoffs are about to begin. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment three. Facility patents still locked on Zag, still chatting with Tuck Clary here as we break down our final two coaches in our WCC head coach power rankings. Tuck, I got a pretty good feeling. <laughs> I know who we're going to be talking about here. Can you talk to me about who your second coach is on your power rankings? Yeah, my second coach is Mark. I'm just kidding. It's Randy Bennett. Uh, Randy Bennett is an incredible coach. Yeah. He is absolutely one of the best 30 coaches in the country, probably mm -hmm. higher. Mm -hmm. uh, circumstances, comfortability. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. like it's almost like a uh, some sort of like uh, folk story of these two <laughs> luminary coaches that are, mm -hmm. are like two sides of a coin from each mm -hmm. other in terms of like high-powered offense versus yeah. – high power defense, slow tempo, high tempo. Mm -hmm. And the idea of like these two coaches that honestly could have gone through a bigger program uh, in multiple spots mm -hmm. decided that 
they wanted to go with what they know. They wanted to go with what they're comfortable. They wanted to go with the region that they, they are very familiar with. And mm-hmm. Randy Bennett at St. Mary's 70.6% winning percentage. Like it's a guarantee it's locked up. Yeah. Uh, Choose St. Mary's to not finish second in this conference at your own peril. Like there's really no reason to ever consider anyone else. And mm-hmm. frankly, if, if there was a scenario where Gonzaga was not in the WCC, mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know how they wouldn't be like the Gonzaga light of the yeah. WCC winning year in year out. Mm-hmm. They're far more consistent than anyone that's been put up against them. Yeah. I, the, the way that BYU thought that it was, they were going to interject themselves into this conversation yeah. and Randy Bennett took care of them routinely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's just a point where, uh, you know, they, they are able to figure out the way to take on Gonzaga and limit mm-hmm. what Gonzaga is good at in a way that few programs can, in yeah. regardless of level of talent, he's, his ability to coach players up. The story of Tommy Cusey is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tommy Cusey's on the San Antonio Spurs when he was a walk-on. Are yeah. you, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea, the idea of Randy Bennett not getting his glory is absurd to me. Yeah. And as much as Gonzaga fans like to make fun of him, mm-hmm. uh, they, the handshakes, all of yeah. that, he's, he's absolutely essential for Gonzaga to be the program that it is today too. So. Yeah. I'm with you hundred percent. Randy's number two for me here in the WCC. You said top 30. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would, it would be hard for me to find 20 coaches that I would pick over Randy Bennett if I was picking a coach to lead my program. And yeah, he's a little ornery. Yeah. The handshake stuff. Yeah. The frustration of just the fact that it's a team that could upset Gonzaga every single time they play, but that's, that is kind of a testament to what he is. He said 71% of the games he's won. The WCC certainly is not, you know, it's not a power conference, obviously, but we're, we're talking about there's a lot of good teams in this conference. And for Randy Bennett to continually take care of them, to pick off Gonzaga every once in a while, to have handled BYU the way that they did, like this is an extraordinarily successful coach. I would read a book. I would maybe I'll write a book. Who the hell knows about the Randy Bennett, Mark Few, just the like you said, the yin and the yang. So different. I think it's hilarious that there are these two coaches in the same conference, really, really successful programs and i think that they almost never really compete with these each other on the recruiting trail because they're looking at different types of players because their programs are so different that's endlessly fascinating to me the relationship that they have uh, there's a ton of mutual respect between the two sides and there should be because randy bennett really really good at what he does i think being the second best coach in this conference is a tremendous accomplishment there's a lot of great coaches and again i Randy Bennett's a top 25, maybe top 20 coach in the entire NCAA for me. Andy, it gets down to the point where Mark Few's born in December 1962 and Randy's born in June of 1962. The <laughs> summer and winters of time, they're the same age. They're polarizing <laughs> figures. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's, the, it's the feel-good movie of the summer. All right. It sounds like we're, I, I think we're going into business together. We're, we're writing a book or creating a movie. I don't know. I guess we'll figure out. Maybe both. <laughs> about yeah. the Mark Few Randy Bennett relationship. Tuck, I'm guessing I know who number one is. You want to talk a little bit about Mark Few? Let us spit on Mark Few's excellency and supremacy. The the way that like national media and, and fans in general like to move off to like some sexier, newer name, some rising uh, uh, coach, some rising act is just incredible to me because there's nothing more consistent than Mark Few is. Yeah. And the idea that Mark Few is that 
winning coach of the year in the WCC year in and yeah. year out. The idea that Mark Few is not mm-hmm. um, not winning national coach of the year more than twice is mm-hmm. incredible to me. There is mm-hmm. no bigger guarantee than Mark Few winning mm-hmm. the WCC title yep. in the WCC tournament and making mm-hmm. the Sweet 16. It is, yep. it is as big of a guarantee as you can get. Yep. Uh, it's to the point where like, I don't know. I feel the same way about Bill Self, where we want to be smarter than everybody mm-hmm. else about these great coaches. When yeah. those are frankly the two mo- most successful coaches who are able to recruit, who yeah. are able to build their program to what they need. Yeah. And Mark Few, there is there's just nobody that's been able to adapt to the college game and mm-hmm. recruiting and the transfer portal and then developing your own talent and finding recruits. Uh, the the way he's completely adapted to even how um, the the COVID season has gone on with high school yeah. players, where he's like, you know what? I understand that we just had two of the top five mm-hmm. ranked players in in these recruiting trail stories, yeah. but honestly, he's pivoted. He's yeah. now looking at the closest to NBA talent. He's he's mm-hmm. finding the the players that have accomplished something and have something left to prove that fit their yeah. program. I mean, Malachi Smith is honestly the biggest transfer fit that he could have gotten compared to anyone he could have gotten in the recruiting trail. So Mm -hmm. he's, he's a mastermind of figuring out how to retain his talent. Mark Fuse is, is endlessly fascinating to me because he's this really unassuming guy. He kind of just talks like he's just like this go lucky guy who happens to, you know, get to coach this team and happens to win some games. And like he, he he is he's not flawless, but he does just about everything well. And his ability to identify players that perfectly fit his system. I know you just did a breakdown on Malachi Smith. I did one a while back, and I'm sure we came to similar conclusions of like looking at some of the advanced numbers and just also watching the tape and being like, this is perfect. Like it's perfect. Look at Rasir Bolton is perfect. He fits exactly what they want. And, and like the transfer portal this last year, the big man, I, I know everybody wanted Dawes Amac. Uh, everybody wanted Brome. Like, but Efton Reed is a great fit. He's a great fit, especially when he committed before knowing whether Drew Timmy was going to come back. It's perfect because he can develop Gonzaga's ability to identify talent that fits their system and knowing when those guys are going to kind of be ready to contribute is it's unbelievable to me to be able to be like, Hey, Rui Hachimura is going to be on a couple year plan, but he's going to be ready at this time. And this player, you know, this player is going to be ready at this time. And Joel Yai, he's going to be ready at this time. And they seem to be just, it's so rare to see them have a misstep to switch the starting lineup. And some people have criticized like, Oh, he never switches the starting lineup. A, he does. It has happened. Uh, but it's, it's rare in part because he got it right the first time. <laughs> like that's kind of what happened most of the time is the ability to, to put the pieces together in a way to make this team as efficient, as productive, as good on offense and defense as he possibly can is, is something that I don't, I don't think Gonzaga fans take it for granted. I really don't. But I think that sometimes when it's like, why does he do this? Why we, there's criticism in ways that are just like it's because he's he's he knows what he's doing. He gets it right almost every time. It's we're almost bored of it, which is just staggering. He's been here 22 years. He's made you know NCAA tournament every single year as a coach. He was doing it well before he was getting recruits that anybody had even heard of. Like and now he's doing it while getting these recruits. And then like you said, and then he stops getting those recruits and decides to pivot away from that and go towards a different way to roster build. 
we're still going to see a handful of recruits come in, guys like Braden Huff, guys like Dusty Stromer. And you know what? They're probably going to develop really well in the system and end up being better performers than where they were when they were recruited. That happens so frequently. And it's just, it's staggering the amount of success that he has had as the head coach of this program and the amount, the, the, the different facets of what it takes to be a head coach. And he's just strong in basically every single one of them. It's going to be another great year for the Zags and, and Mark's a huge part of it. You have to be so talented and so good for people to get tired of you. You have to be <laughs> so good to have yep. Gonzaga fatigue. Yep. The fact that they have been a top three offense in Ken Palm the last four seasons, mm-hmm. and you know, three of them they were number one. Right. Uh, the fact that three of the last six years they were the number one team in Ken Palm, uh, mm-hmm. and then you bring it down to the fact of it. All Rupp had a winning percentage of eighty-two point two percent. Rupp uses eighty-three point six. Like it's I. It, it boggles the mind how consistently great he is at finding yep. the vantage. Yep. Yeah, they, they get it done against everybody. I, mean, I think Ken Pomeroy wrote a great article last year during the season of like taking their last 50 games against ranked opponents and they won like 70% of them. Like it's he's not just doing it against, you know, Pacific, which is what a lot of people like to tell you out there, but that's not true. He's doing it against everybody. There's a reason they've been to seven straight sweet 16. It's just a staggering success for this program. Uh, I'm very excited for this upcoming season. Tuck, this conversation made me feel even more pumped about what we got going in the WCC. I think it's going to be a really, really fun season. Uh, and I want to thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me on Andy. I love talking WCC and the Zags. All right. That is going to do it for me today. For more, check out the website, scorezagscore.com. We got plenty more fun stuff coming later this week. We're going to continue the season preview series. Fun guests coming later on the show as well, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Available on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button if you haven't done it yet. Trying to get to 1,000 before November 7th when the Zags tip off against North Florida. So go check that out there. Finally, thank you again for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WTC doesn't exist yet. Maybe Tuck will take it over someday. But you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings right now by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.